Good morning. Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of Pete Show. Um, I'm your host, Peter Eklund, and I am so excited that you are tuning in right now that this is a new venture for me or it's a renewed venture for me. Um, it's kind of early. It's, you know, it's Saturday morning, like I said, and I am um, just here ready to talk to you guys about the latest stuff in entertainment news and entertainment reviews brought to you by myself, obviously, being in the Pete Show and all. Um, so yeah, I, I am just excited that you guys are here. Um, what we're going to be doing with this podcast, as I said before, is I'm going to be covering reviews and I'm going to be covering news around things like movies and television, you know, all things entertainment. I'm going to, I'm going to steer away from gossip. I'm going to steer away from like, oh, do you know who's now living with who or who's, you know, whatever, all those kinds of Hollywood kind of, uh, drama gossip reel stuff. Um, that's not the kind of stuff I'm into. And I'm, I'm also not going to be getting into like, um, you know, legal things and, and stuff like that. It's going to be stuff that's going to probably be the most pertinent to you as a movie fan. You know, not not so much of like gossip gossip tabloid stuff, if that makes sense. But anyway, um, this podcast channel used to be called Extreming Disney, where I would review the streaming service Disney+. Plus. Um, and as great as that podcast was, I, what I love about this new venture is that I will no longer be limited to just the series and movies on just one provider. And now that the world has kind of opened up, you know, with COVID and movie theaters are reopened, um, so is like the scope of entertainment again. And so I'll be able to talk about everything, you know, so new releases in theaters, new series that I'm excited about. And I might even go back to a movie that has been out for like decades and just cover that and, and let you know where my mind is with that. Like something that I'm just watching or just whatever I've been doing in the past week and what I think it would be the most fun to talk about. So I hope you're here for it. I hope you're going to enjoy it. Um, if you were a fan of Extreming Disney, if you were somebody who listened into that, thank you. Um, I hope you are going to be with me on this new venture, this new journey that I'm on now. Um, I'm sitting here. I, I got some my water. And I have um, some coffee that's being made, so I'm going to probably grab that in just a minute. Um, but I also just want to say that this show is not going to be just about me. I know it's called Pete Show, and but I just thought that was going to be a, like a fun little title. Um, but what I'm also going to be doing is I'm going to be taking questions from you, my audience, from time to time. So if you want to submit a question, um, the email is peteshow at yahoo.com. And if you, if you send in a question or a thought and you say, hey, I want to get your take on this. What do you think about this? Um, if you do, I might be able to read your question on the air. So, yeah, send it in and um, we'll see what's going to be happening there. Um, so we've got a few things that I want to talk about today. And um, to kind of start things off, I want to talk about the life of a particular actor who passed away this past week. Um, I, I know you're probably tuning in and you're like, okay, the headline is Shang-Chi, and we'll, we'll get there. I, I wanted to talk about Ed Asner, though. Um, Ed Asner, he died at age 91 years old, um, and this guy is a screen legend. He is a screen legend. Um, I can tell you that um, just from what we reports say, he died of natural causes, um, and I... I I was really impressed when I was kind of just looking up stuff on him. So here's some things. He was an actor with over 400 acting credits on IMDb. That's like if he was on multiple episodes like Mary Tyler Moore show where he was probably the most known for that. I mean, apart from, you know, of a particular age, if you are somebody who of a particular age, you may know who he is from that. But then, um, you know, as us younger folk, we probably recognize him from other things as we go on to mention it. But, but Mary Tyler Moore would only be 
credited as one acting credit. So that's just crazy, you know, so 400 acting credits. Um, so yeah, he, he was best known for Mary Tyler Moore. Uh, but if you, you know, like, again, if you were like me, you probably know him from one of two things. Either where he played Santa Claus in the modern Christmas classic Elf, or, um, and, and I think this opens up a whole other window of things, um, where he played Carl um, Fredrickson in the movie Up. And so he was the, he was the old man in Up, the, the main character. And it's what's, what's very interesting now, is, and it's kind of sad watching it, but something that's new to Disney Plus is Doug Days, which was like a little animated short thing of Carl and Doug um, in their adventures of, you know, basically in the backyard of their house or Doug's adventures in the backyard of his house after the events of the, the Pixar movie Up. And, you know, he's Ed Asner's there and he's still doing the voice and then just came out this week, the week of his death. And so it's like it's kind of a very bittersweet thing to watch. And it's kind of it's kind of sad. But, um, yeah, you know, it's what's interesting for me when I think about what are the most notable things that I think of Ed Asner for. And I was looking through the, his credits on IMDb and the amount of voice acting he did. You know, through my childhood in the 90s, I mean, as much as he was a TV star legend and he won, I think he, it says that he won the most Emmys out of, out of any man, um, at, at least at one time. He had seven Emmy wins, mostly for, um, you know, the Mary Tyler Moore show. But being an Emmy-winning actor, he went on to voice so many shows. You know, just open up IMDb and I'm sure he'll hit something from your childhood. But the two things that I want to mention from my childhood in a TV series was one, Gargoyles, where he played the character of Hudson, the old gargoyle, the kind of the wise sage to Goliath. Um, And he also played the voice of J. Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man series. And so that's just like, that show alongside X-Men, the animated series from the 90s, just like really shaped who I am. And so did Gargoyles to some degree. I mean, these were like hard shows for kids, you know, that that was action packed and wasn't necessarily comedy led like we see a lot of cartoon series. Um, but the popular ones, I think, are the ones that bring a lot of drama and excitement. So I, I just thought that was that meant something to me, you know, and I'm sure if, if you know Ed Asner, there is something for you that he has touched. I mean, maybe Up. I know a lot of people really love Up. Um and I've been really enjoying watching through the, the five episodes on Disney Plus of um, Doug Days, just focused on Doug and Carl. And it does really, like I said, bring a kind of a bittersweet thing to my mind. Um, just a couple things that I wanted to mention. Um, I, I pulled up some stuff on IMDb, just some trivia things alongside him, you know, things that maybe you don't necessarily know. Um, he was the president of the Screen Actors Guild from 1981 to 1985. The Screen Actors Guild um, is basically the, the guild of actors, you know. So, you know, when they have at the end of the year the Screen Actors Award, um, it's through the Screen Actors Guild. And so um, it's, it's really a, a way that actors honor actors. And so for him to be the president of that is pretty, pretty awesome. Um, he was a longtime political activist, and he, um, and he accused the CBS network of canceling Lou Grant 
over his um, publicizing disapproval of the United States involvement in Central America. So he was an activist as well. You know, he was, he was not just like all about the yucks, you know, he was, he was a, a guy who was in, who was really involved in things. This is something that's interesting. So his character of Lou Grant, um, which he made, you know, he was most popular from the Mary Tyler Moore show. He played this character of Lou Grant in four different series. He played it in on the Mary Tyler Moore show in 1972, I think 77. He played it in um, Rhonda, and he played it in his series that you know he that he was the star in Lou Grant, and then he also played him in the series of Roseanne from the late 80s, which again comes from like my my childhood with Roseanne Barr. Um, yeah, so it's 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 pretty incredible um, this the life that this man lived and everything that he did. Um, I I've just been um so thankful for for seeing him and everything that he has done. Um and I just want to leave you with a quote from Ad Asner. Um one that I found I was like I want to find something that was to leave things off just like something that he has said um or this actor when when we highlight an actor on this show. Um and he said this. Raising kids is part joy and part guerrilla warfare. Um, and it gives me a little bit of a chuckle. I am not a parent. So if you are, you can relate to that. You can tell me or not if you, if you agree or if you think of that, um, as, as something that relates to you, but it, maybe it would give you a little bit of a chuckle. Raising kids is part joy and part guerrilla warfare. Okay. So I want to get to what you guys are here for. I want to talk about Shang-Chi. Hey guys, um, just quickly, I wanted to say this before I get into um, what happens next here on the show. I just wanted to let you know, um, I'm going to go into my non-spoiler review of Shang-Chi. Um, so I'm going to start talking about it. I forgot to mention right off the top that I was going to, that this is going to be a non-spoiler review. Um, so if you haven't seen the movie, it's just my take on it without um, ruining anything that comes out into the actual movie. You can stay tuned to the end of the show where I will mention um, I will actually spoil everything within the film. So um, that'll come later, though. You are safe to listen to this part of the show without being spoiled. All right, thank you. Now, if, if you were like me and kind of leading up to this movie um, and, and knew the character of Shang-Chi, I always thought it was pronounced Shang-Chi. Um, Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu, you know, ba- you know just I'm from the comic books. Um, but as the movie and everyone else is, is pronouncing it Shang-Chi, I feel like that is for a reason that maybe it's more culturally correct, just as, as we look at the spelling, um, and where the character is based out of. So I've kind of reoriented myself, but if, if Shang-Chi slips through the cracks and I pronounce it that way, I apologize. It's probably because I just grew up, um, throughout just, you know, my time being a fan of comic books pronouncing it as Shang. So I apologize for that. I do mean to say Shang. Um, but so I, I am, I went to go see this movie on Thursday night. I went with a bunch of my guy friends and, um, I was so thrilled, you know, um, I actually was, I did not get to see Black Widow in theaters. I watched it on Disney plus. Um, it was like a family thing. And so we, we did the premiere um, thing on tel- on the TV through the Disney Plus streaming app. So this is like the first time that I was able to go see 
a Disney Plus, no, 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 excuse me. I was able to go see an MCU movie in theaters with the crowds for the first time in a long time, you know, since Spider-Man Far From Home. And um, I, I was just so thrilled to be back there. It was just like, I love that excitement that comes, particularly when you see a movie with like the first showing with the, the fans of the MCU. Um, so yeah, this is the latest movie. And it's the 25th Marvel movie in the MCU. And it falls in what they have called Phase 4. And what is nice about this movie, along with the MCU series that we've gotten on Disney+, Plus. Um, in this past year within 2021, or no, yeah, wait, yeah, we're in 2021. Oh my gosh, I still feel like we're in 2020. Um, it really goes to establish this new era within the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, you know, in, in this, this more than anything else, than when it comes to like things since Avengers Endgame. Because like, if you think about it, as far as like, where things are going in the future. I mean, we had Black Widow, but that's kind of more of like a prequel. Um, we have Spider-Man Far From Home. And then for the series, we've had WandaVision, Falcon Winter Soldier, and Loki. And all of them are kind of moving things forward, you know, especially within Phase 4. And all these shows fall into Phase 4, right? But my one thought, though, is that those are all pre-existing characters. You know, everyone, first of all, knows Spider-Man. Um, but Wanda and Vision and Falcon or, you know, the new Captain America and Winter Soldier, Loki and Black Widow, they're already characters that have been established um, within the Marvel movies. And so it's like, finally, they got their due, you know. Um, but this is a totally new character that not many people really know about. And so it kind of makes me think of Iron Man in some ways. And you might be like, whoa, wait, wait, Iron Man is like the most well-known superhero in um, the, the comics or the movies, right? Oh, I must also say that this this review I'm going to give right now is going to be a non-spoiler review, okay? So I should have said that on the top, but I, maybe I'll just edit that in. Um, okay, so yeah, he, he kind of reminds me of Iron Man, and you might be going like, hey, well, he, isn't Iron Man the most well-known comic book hero or a superhero out there? Because, you know, because he's just, he's so big. He, like, everything hinged on him in the MCU. And I'll tell you this. As far as the movies are concerned, since Robert Downey Jr. has come on and played the character, yes, absolutely. He is a top-notch character. I think what Robert Downey Jr. brought to the performance of Tony Stark was incredible. But as far as the comic books are concerned and as far as comic book fans were concerned, he wasn't like the biggest character to like capture on the big screen. You know, everyone was like, oh, old shellhead over here, Iron Man. But he wasn't like, he wasn't on the caliber of like Spider-Man or X-Men, you know. He he wasn't on the caliber of Batman. It's like before the Iron Man movies came out, it was kind of like, who's Iron Man? Who is this character? You know, and there was not a lot of, there wasn't a whole lot of recognition of who he was. And so I, I kind of feel like that's similar place that we're, where we are at with Shang-Chi. Um, but even that, Shang-Chi is even more obscure. I mean, I have been a Marvel comic fan for years. And I have probably read maybe a handful of issues of Shang-Chi where, where he appears. I haven't read the, the comics of Shang-Chi, Master of Kung Fu, um, which is obviously based in the 70s for off the popularity of Bruce Lee. 
um, and the Kung Fu Renaissance or the Kung Fu um, hype that came in the 70s. And that this was like Marvel really cashing in on that. So they wanted to create a character um, that they could really go, hey, this is kind of like Bruce Lee. I mean, if you see him in the comic books, he looks like Bruce Lee. Um, but as far as like the lore of the Marvel Universe, the comic Marvel Universe, he is a C-list hero. Um, and I, I, I have never seen any f- friends of mine saying, hey, when is there going to be a Shang-Chi movie? You know, and, and don't get me wrong. I, I'm not trying to like um, harsh on him or say that he doesn't deserve a movie. Honestly, the fact that we, we are getting stories from Marvel characters who are, 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 who are less mainstream and we're, they're getting their movies and they're getting their stories told now, especially ones who come from different nationalities and cultures, um, someone of Chinese descent or um, far East Asian de- descent could look at this and say, hey, there, I see myself on the screen or I see somebody I can admire. I can, you know, I, I think that's, I think that's huge. And I think that's important. And I think that's great. And so I think that is awesome. But it's like Shang-Chi, I, I look at similar as I do Guardians of the Galaxy because, you know, who have now become like really important and really big, but these are like characters who are a few rungs down the ladder as far as like who are the biggest Marvel comic characters out there in comics. Um, so yeah, I don't say that to like begrudge him, but you know, I also got to make the comparison and I kind of wonder what this character and then what this movie is going to do, if it's going to have a similar impact as Black Panther did to the African or the African-American community um, with how huge when that movie came out, right? I mean, if you go back a couple of years and you think about it, it was massive. And I wonder if this is going to have a similar impact to the Asian-American community or the Far East Asian community. And I am just, I, I would love to see that, you know? And it, it kind of makes me sad, though. I, I got to say this, that I don't think there has been enough hype around this movie, at least around MCU fans. And I, I don't think the marketing has really been up for it. I think I, I felt like I saw a lot more marketing around Black Widow. And I think we were all really anticipating Black Widow because that was going to be the first movie for the MCU since since COVID hit. Um and so in that date kept on getting pushed back and pushed back because of COVID. So everybody was so hyped and ready to see Black Widow, right? But now I feel like, and this is to go into some things that we're going to talk about later in the show, everyone's now all about Spider-Man No Way Home. I think it was maybe a mistake to release the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer right around the same time of Shang-Chi, only because it really is, that's all anybody is talking about. And I don't feel like anybody's talking about Shang-Chi. And that's unfortunate. Um, so I, I probably, honestly, it's not Marvel's, it's not Disney or um, Marvel's fault in regards to that. It's probably Sony's deal. Sony's the one who does all distribution. They do things like the trailers and stuff like that. So Sony, it's a weird partnership that that Disney has with Sony who has the rights to Spider-Man. So it probably has something more to do with that. But it really kind of, I feel like, took the wind out of the sails of, of Shang-Chi. But, you know, as I said before, this this does take me back to Iron Man being a brand new superhero character in the MCU. It makes me feel like I'm back in 2008, looking at all the possibilities that lay ahead and what could happen moving forward. And I feel like we're building again. And I think this is going to be a building block that we're going to be using. We're going to look back to in the same ways that, hey, remember Iron Man and how that built things up going towards the Avengers and even towards the end of Phase 
three with you know Avengers Endgame or Avengers Infinity War. Taking a sip of coffee. Um, so yeah, I, I I know I'm still kind of I haven't really gotten into the movie yet, and I and I will I will. Um, but there's just like these things I feel like that needs to be talked about. So um, when it when it comes to this movie and where it falls on my ranking, it's kind of right in the middle. I'm it's it's right in the middle of you know 25 movies, you know, and and to be to be considerate of the fact that there's only you might be like why it must not be that good you know but no I really like this movie but I mean if I was to put up all 25 movies within my ranking and at some point I'll probably do that for you guys and it falling kind of right around the middle is not bad that's actually pretty darn good um there's only been like three stinkers you know absolute stinkers within the MCU that fall at the very bottom you know and sometimes that order for me changes a little bit too but anyway, um, so this to fall in the middle is is really great. And, and you know, what we find with the MCU and the movies that come out is they always play with a particular genre. Or not always, but they, they, they to some degree, you know. Captain America is the war film, you know, and Captain America 2 is the 70s government conspiracy flick. And, you know, um, Ant-Man's, all the Ant-Man's are like the heist movie and Guardians of the Galaxy is the space opera. Shang-Chi is the kung fu film. So I, I, I think this is – and it really falls into that category. And boy, is this a kung fu movie. Uh, I'm really blown away by what director um, Destin Daniel Cretton did with this movie, especially within its action sequences and what he was able to really pull off from the stars at different points in the movie. If you're not familiar with the actor, it doesn't surprise or the, the director doesn't surprise me. He has only a few acting credits to his name, uh, most notably The Glass Castle with Brie Larson and Just Mercy with Michael B. Jordan. Um, if you haven't seen Just Mercy, I highly recommend it. It is a great watch, especially in light of like um, Black Lives Matter and um, things that go on there. But um, let's talk about the action sequences because if this is a kung fu movie, we got to talk about the action. Um, the action sequences are astounding in this movie. And when you part- partner that up with the cinematography and those sequences, it, it come, it's probably the best hand-to-hand fighting I've seen in any MCU movie. Um, and it really taps in. I mean, it taps into different movies. I mean, I, I think it reminded me, there was a sequence early on in the movie that reminded me of like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And then there's another action scene that really reminded me of something that you would see from like Jackie Chan in the 90s. Um, and so it, it, it really was exciting. You know, it was everything that I wanted the Iron Fist series to be when that came out onto um, Netflix a number of years ago, which was a huge disappointment. You know, with, with that series, you know, and I'm just going to say this quickly. It, it stinks when you get excited about a series that's focused on a martial, heart, uh, a martial arts superhero. And you find that like the action sequences are just slow and pedestrian, you know. Um, so this this really takes care of that, and it's just like whoa! You watch the hand to hand fighting, you watch it, and you're just amazed. It kind of almost brought me back to like the Born Identity when I saw that back in the day, and how everybody was just like, oh my gosh, Matt Damon is so incredible in this movie. I mean, I think people are gonna walk away with a, similar thoughts about the hand to hand fighting within this film. Um, so yeah, um, also just with the character of Shang-Chi in the comics, you'll find him. And the reason why I I really compared him to Iron Fist is you'll find him 
spending a lot of time with Iron Fist. You know, Shang-Chi in the comics is kind of a street-level hero who will team up with characters like Iron Fist and Luke Cage and Daredevil. And so to compare him to that kind of that level of heroes... I think it's fair, you know, at least in the comic books. In this movie, they really elevate him, you know, and I think you have to. I mean, if you're going to really base some of the M- the new stuff within the MCU on this new character and you're going to ha- allow him to, like, set the stage for what's to come in later phases, you have to elevate him. And the movie does a really good job at that. Um, but luckily, this movie, again, stands heads and shoulders over everything else when it comes to like the action sequences, especially as I said, the hand to hand fighting. Um, let me, I'm just looking at my notes. There, there are times if I was, if I was to criticize anything about this movie, I mean, I'm going to give my credit, my critiques as the review goes on. But one thing that I just want to say about it is that I felt like it could have used a little bit more action. I could have used um, one or two more action sequences. I think a lot of times you know, as the hand-to-hand fighting, the coordination or the, um, the, the, the choreography of the, of the movie was astounding and beautiful and, and great. I think they were still also pretty heavily CGI'd. And I think they could have done a better job at pulling some of that back in order to like, if they had, if it was like a budget issue, I, I would have rather have seen it be more, um, real than it was CGI'd, especially in those sequences in order for it to be, like, to give us more. I mean, more sequences, more times of action. So I felt like it was a little lacking and there was only, like, a few times. I I feel like I spent a lot of time in the second act of the movie with not any action, you know? And it it kind of... I was was expecting more from a movie that was going to be, hey, this is our kung fu movie, you know? MCU fans, this is what it's going to be. And so I, I wanted a little bit more in regards to that. Um, you know, as I've been talking about this, I haven't even talked about the star yet, who they're like saying, all right, here you go. You're going to be you're going to be the person who's going to be moving things forward as far as new characters, you know, since the events of of Avengers Endgame. Um, the actor's name is Simu. I'm going to pronounce this wrong, probably Simu Liu. Um, S-I-M-U-L-I-U. Um, so I'm sorry if I mispronounced that. Um, but. I, I got to say, I was not familiar with this actor at all. I know my, my some friends tell me about the show Kim's Convenience, on which he is um, a big part of, and I, I haven't watched it, and, and maybe now I will because I, I did like him in this movie, but he's somebody who's like jumped up, you know? I mean, here, they're, they're really going saying, hey, we're going to take you from being an unknown, and we're going to, we've seen what you can do, and we're going to push you into the front line you know, as being a character. I mean, this is a guy whose acting credits just six years ago, he went from being like bartender, you know, within a TV show or desk officer or EMT number one to now being Shang-Chi, the master of Kung Fu. Um, I thought he was great. Honestly, I think he was, he was charming at times and he was funny at times. You know, when he shared scenes with his co-star Aquafina, there were times where he was really funny um, he was dramatic at times, and you know when he you, when you needed him to be, you know, um, and he, I mean he pulled off the action sequences so well, so I I liked him a lot. But there were times where I felt like it wasn't as fluid. I felt like I was almost watching um, two different movies, you know, because. I mean, with like Robert Downey Jr. and other characters within the MCU, they do a really good job of being fluid within the drama and the comedy or the fun, you know. Um, 
And I felt like there were times where, I don't know, I, I wanted to see a little bit more fleshed out and I wanted to see more kind of flowing between those those moments of comedy and charm and the moments of drama. And they and it really does hit some dramatic notes, especially when it comes to him and his family. Um and and that's really where the the drama of this movie takes place. I mean, we can really kind of derive it from the trailer, so I'm not spoiling a whole lot here. When you watch the trailer, you you can see that there is there's a situation with his father. And his father is like is the main antagonist. This guy is the guy who trained him up to be an assassin, you know, at a very young age. And it's it's really about this, this is kind of a, a family movie to some degree, similar to how Black Widow is about family. But this is really about like redemption for a family member or forgiveness of a family member who has gone on to do some pretty terrible things. And how do you bring them back per se, you know? Um, <clears throat> so there's, there's a family element here within this movie. And... There again, I I I, I lo- there's a lot of that I loved in this, and I and I liked the portrayal of the father um, as the villain, but I feel like some things were a little bit still weak there. You know, um, I think the the latest two villains that we've had within movies within Black Widow and this, I thought were particularly weak, and I wanted a little bit more. And I think I can actually say that there there are things within the writing of this movie that I think if they put some different notes in or different lines in like it, it wasn't necessarily like the movie did a bad job at things but I think if you if you wrote certain things in and have just different pieces of dialogue you would have better payoffs within this movie payoffs with the father payoffs with Shang-Chi and his journey payoffs with another arc of a character I think primarily Aquafina. um I think if you just wrote in some different things within the dialogue of the movie, you would have different payoffs that I think people would be talking more about and that I would be more excited about. Um, But he does a stellar job. He does a great job. I think he has a great future, especially within the MCU. Um, And I'm excited to see more from him. And obviously with post-credit scenes, things are set up for the future, not only for him, but also for where the MCU is going to be heading um, just moving forward. Um, I want to talk about Aquafina because we've seen a lot of her in the trailer. And I got to tell you, I'm not somebody who usually loves Aquafina and the things that I've seen her in. I liked her in Raya and the Last Dragon. I liked her in um, Jumanji 2, but I've never really walked away going like, oh my gosh, she was amazing. And I, I also have to admit that I, I haven't seen the movie The Farewell that came out a couple years ago where there was a lot of Oscar hype going around it um, and what she was a big part of. And I know she has a new series out, um, but you know, I, I just never have been so particularly excited about her. But you know what? I loved her in this movie. You know, I, I thought she really stole the show for me, primarily her story arc. Her story arc within this movie, I felt at times I was more engaged with than I was even with Shang-Chi um, as he is coming to terms with his life and where he is heading. There is a story arc for her, and I think – I don't know if it's a story that's particularly common within um, Asian-American uh, community, but I think there is a story arc there of a character who's kind of in arrested development within her life. And for her to come to a place where she is – 
willing and able to move forward. And she's somebody who's kind of, in some ways, denying her past. Not unlike, oh my gosh, she did these terrible wrongs, but I think on a cultural level where she has come from. You know, even with with her, you see a scene early in the movie with her and her family. And you get an idea of that she's kind of the black sheep with the rest of her family. And I think that there is um, a really cool, interesting arc with her. Um, and I and I, I can already see there's going to be some fans of this movie or some people who are going to give criticisms with her. There's there's a certain um, scene towards the end where um, there's a, there's a there's a character who shows proficiency with a weapon, and it's kind of very quick. And I think that would probably be an unfair criticism to make, especially when we have a main character who shows proficiency in an area and doing something that they should not be an expert at yet. So I think if we give that same critic, if we give that criticism to Aquafina and her character um, towards the end of this movie, we got to give that to Shang-Chi as well and what they did with him. You know, I, I could already hear it now. People are going to be crying the same way they did in regards to um, Ray in with the force in the force awakens, you know, in star Wars, you know, that she's a Mary Jane and she's, you know, perfect and, or whatever. And, and when that shouldn't even be the case, I think that's, I think that is a criticism that a lot of times we give to female characters. Um, and we don't give to male characters in movies and televisions shows. And I think, um, we got to be fair in regards to that. And I think actually it is a problem within the, the the third act of this movie, which is probably where most of my qualms with this movie comes from, which usually is what most of my qualms come with a lot of superhero movies is the third act. You know, you do all these cool things, but can you really stick the landing? Um, so most of my problems come to the, the last act of this movie. There's also another character in this movie that I honestly found kind of stiff and kind of flat. It was um, Shang-Chi's sister, um, in which they do a lot of things with her and there's a lot of drama. Again, family drama within this movie is really, is really big. Um, and I felt that her performance was kind of flat and I was not engaged with her at all. I was, Shang-Chi really like carries that drama, the character of, um, Simu Liu. He, he really carries that drama and he does a great job with it. And I just, I feel like the actor who played the sister really didn't bring it per se. Um, this being an MCU movie, I know what you guys are all wondering, does it have ties to the other movie universe? And yes, it does. And what I like about this movie, it doesn't do it at a nauseating level. You know, you get things sprinkled in there, you get things setting up the future, you get callbacks to certain things. There's a particular character that is brought back who is kind of, was in for a minute, um, and really is, is a star within this movie, um, that I think a lot of people are going to be excited to see. Um, and it really does a great job. And, and, you know, it has its ties to even Iron Man 3, which was not necessarily a high point within the MCU with all the movies. It was kind of a low point, I think, on a lot of people's scales as far as, you know, is this a good MCU movie? Um, and so they, they redeem situations because if you think about it, you know, this is called The Legend of the, the Ten Rings. And the Ten Rings are something that goes back to Iron Man. And they go back to when they, they go to Iron Man 3 as the Mandarin. And it, this movie does a good job at addressing Iron Man 3 with the Mandarin and kind of fixing some of the problems that people had back then when they're like, oh, you ruined the Mandarin character from the comic books. This addresses that and takes care of it. Um, as far as post-credit scenes, um, you, you, we have two. 
at the end. So stay, you know, stick around if you're watching this in the theater. Watch the two scenes. It really sets things up moving forward um, on a couple things. So, yeah, again, I, I have problems with the third act of the film. Um, kind of just like conveniences and things that happen. I think they could have punched up a few things in the script to make some better payoffs and which I think would be more emotional and that we would really walk away with as being like big impacts, particularly within the family drama. And I think also I was talking to a friend after watching the movie when we were talking about Aquafina's character and I think they could have done a better job at punching up some things with her. Um, just within the script of even being able to say like, oh no, she actually does... Um, really understand the culture that she comes from. I'll just say that. I don't want to spoil too, too much for you guys. Um, so yeah, if, if I was to give this a letter grade, if I was to give it, let's say, um, would I recommend this movie? Of course, I would recommend it. If you are a Marvel fan, every if you're a Marvel fan, you're going to go see this movie. I mean, let's just face it, right? Um, but it's, again, it's kind of right in the middle of the Marvel movies for me. Um, I think I would probably give this out of five stars... I'm going to give it three and a half. I liked it. I liked it. It's not my favorite, but it's absolutely not the worst. And it falls in the middle, which means I'm definitely going to rewatch it and be excited to rewatch it again. Um, it's just, there's, there's aspects within this movie that is so stunning. The CGI is so beautiful. The, the lore that it opens up within the Marvel universe is incredible. And I think, um, it's an area, it's a corner of the, of the Marvel comics that I am really not that familiar with. So I was really engaged within the movie when I was watching it. Um, there's also, yeah, there's, there's some things with the, the characters and the villains. There's one character that is so BA that I thought was so cool and I wanted to get more from, and it's like that character was like everything that I wanted from the Taskmaster character in Black Widow that they weren't able to really pull through in. Um, and there, but you know what? Stick around for my spoiler talk around this movie, and I'll I'll tell you more. So that's going to be my review of Shang-Chi, my non-spoiler review. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, let me know what you think. If you have any questions or thoughts, um, hit me up in the emails, and you can become part of this show. I want to use that conversation that I had just right now or my thoughts on Shang-Chi to really transition to talk about the box office. So, I mean, obviously coming out of COVID, the box office for 2021 has kind of been underwhelming for the most part, right? I mean, but it's to be expected with movie theaters just reopening just a couple months ago. You know, the question of like, you know, how are the, how is the box office doing? Are we going to get back to the place where the numbers were pre-pandemic? That's a question that everybody's been asking. And also, a question that everybody's been asking over the summer was, is this movie going to make over $100 million opening box or opening weekend box office? Um, and we haven't yet seen that. Um, so what I first want to do is talk about last week's box office, and then I want to talk about this week's box office, or what I project to see happening this next weekend. Um, and if anybody is like, what do you mean by box office? It basically just means how much money did these movies make in the theaters in their opening weekends, which is, a, is something that a lot of people care about. And sometimes what you want to care about it is if a movie is gets really popular and people really love it, if the box office does well, um, sometimes studios would be like, oh yeah, we're definitely going to make a sequel. So that's something if you, to think about. All right, so last weekend, um, here's just the top five. We had number one, Candyman, with $22.4 million. That was week one in which it came out. 
Um, so yeah, that was, that was a, that was definitely a hit. Um, and these are, that's actually pretty good. I mean, 22.4 million, if you think about it, pre pandemic days, not very big, not very great, but we're also getting to the tail end of the summer too. So horror movies never really open up that huge, um, because it's just a limited, um, niche of what people like. I mean, you can't really take the family to go see that. And, but for Candyman with the, in the pandemic, with um with the fact that we're getting to the tail end of the summer with it being a horror movie to make 22.4 million dollars is really good. Number 2 um in its third week was Free Guy with Ryan Reynolds at 13.6 million. Um and then number 3 was Paw Patrol in week 2 Paw Patrol the movie with 6.6 million. Jungle Cruise in its fourth week made 5 million. And then um, the sequel, Don't Breathe 2, made $2.8 million in its third week. So that's what the past weekend looked like as far as the top five goes. Um, I think everybody's question right now, is Shang-Chi going to be able to break the $100 million opening weekend? And I think one thing that it's trying to really bank on, that Disney is trying to bank on to maybe try to make that happen. I mean, it has a couple things going for it that someone could argue and say, I think it could make it. Okay, here's here's a few things. Um, it is not being released as a dual release on Disney Plus like Black Widow was. So this is exclusively in theaters. That could help the movie um, get over a hundred million. Uh, another thing, it's Labor Day weekend, which is an extended. You get one more day, and you get people who maybe on Sunday night, if you know, who would typically go to work or go to school or, you know, on Monday, they might be more willing to go see a movie on a Sunday night or a Monday to go see a movie. And Shang-Chi being an action movie, being a superhero movie within the MCU could probably help it get to that hundred million box office. Um, here's some things that could hurt it. Shang-Chi is not that well-known. He's not a um box office name right he's he's not a proved commodity he's not somebody that everyone goes oh my gosh of course you know um i mean we saw black widow you know and there's a lot of things that kind of held up black widow i think if black widow was just in theaters and not on disney plus the box office would definitely have been over 100 million um and it, it and it just came shy of it and i think it was 90 million that it opened up at or 80 million. I might have my numbers wrong. I, I'll tell you, the movie that's not going to struggle to get over 100 million, I think there will be no question about it, is going to be Spider Man No Way Home. That movie's going to make it. That movie's going to cross the 100 million dollar mark. You know, I think it might be the first movie in 2021 to um, get to that 100 million dollar mark. Maybe, um, maybe the James Bond movie will. Um, th- that could definitely do it. Or um, Dune could do it. You know, as far as they're really pumping that marketing right now for Dune, which still comes out in a couple months. Um, But I think I think Spider-Man No Way Home is going to do it. Um, Shang-Chi not being a very well-known character might hurt it, honestly. Um, I don't think it's going to make it. I don't think it's going to make over 100 million. I'm going to say my guess. I think it's going to just come shy. I'm going to I'm going to give it a 95 I think it's going to make $95 million opening weekend. That's just my guess. So that's going to be my number one, though. I mean, obviously, that's going to be my number one on my predictions for this week. And we'll, we'll check and see. We'll, we'll compare and see how I do. Um, but this is my guess, that Shang-Chi is going to make um, $95 million in its opening weekend, followed by number two being Candyman 
in its second week, I think is going to make eight million, which I still think is pretty good. I mean, for a movie, first of all, for for a horror movie again, in its second week to go from twenty two point four million in the pandemic or the tail end of a pandemic to go to eight million is good. And you usually see a big drop off in week twos. You know, in in the sequential weeks that come, you see big drop offs. I think Shang Chi is going to make the most money. But then everything else is going to be, you know, lower from that. And honestly, I could totally have the rest of my order totally incorrect. But I, because I think they're just going to be so close in numbers and what they're going to make in box office. So I have Candyman at number two with eight million, followed by Free Guy um, in week and it's um, fourth week with six million. Uh, I think word of mouth is going pretty good with that movie, and I think people are going to see it. Um, I think number four is going to be Jungle Cruise with 4.5 million. And the only reason why I said 4.5 million is just to give it a leg up over Paw Patrol at 4 million, um, which would go from, you know, it's 6 million to 4 million. So it actually would drop below Jungle Cruise. Um, the only reason why I think that's going to happen is because it's such a limited target for Paw Patrol. It's just for kids and it's a certain age group of kids. It's not even for like older children. It's really for a, a younger audience. So I think it's not gonna it's not gonna make that much. And which means we'll we'll probably see Don't Breathe 2 fall off the top five. That's my guess. That's my predictions for the box office um for this weekend, the Labor Day weekend. And so next week when we when we meet back up um a week from today um, I'll be able to tell you where I did on my predictions and we'll look at the following box office and yeah, obviously within the, the confines of the show and everything that I'm going to be talking about next week. And right now I have no idea. So it's completely open. Get your emails in. We'll see what we'll be talking about. Um, the last thing that I want to talk about before I get into my spoiler review of Shang-Chi, just to kind of fill in some of the gaps of the things that I was talking about is the fact that, um, I want to talk about the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer. And this has been out for a couple weeks now. And I mentioned it a couple times just because, you know, in reference of Shang-Chi. And I think it's really disappointing because when I go on my Facebook page or if I go on Instagram, I'm seeing everyone post about Spider-Man No Way Home. You know, they're looking for the Easter eggs. They're, they're looking at the trailer and then like, oh my gosh, was that the lizard? Was that Sandman? They're, they're so excited about this um, Spider-Verse-like movie and, and whether or not, oh my gosh, is Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield going to be in this movie? And I'm, I'm, I'm taking a pretty reserved opinion to Spider-Man No Way Home in the trailer. I think it honestly is going to be huge. And I think bringing in characters from previous Spider-Man movies before the MCU, you know, from from um, the time of Tobey Maguire being Spider-Man and from the time of Andrew Garfield being Spider-Man, I think I think is going to be very exciting. I think it's going to be massive. I, I think it's going to be one of the biggest hits of the year and I think it's what everybody's going to be talking about um, going into the holiday season in a sense because it comes out in December. Um... But I'll, I'll my my opinion on on the whole thing because everyone's looking for the Easter eggs and everyone's wondering whether or not um, Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are going to be in it. Um, I I am not making claims. People are like, you're absolutely going to see them. There's no way you're not going to see them. The reason why I don't want to say that is because I don't want to be disappointed if they don't. Could they show up? Oh, I think they could absolutely show up. Are they going to show up? 
I can't say that. I because I, 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 I don't want it to taint the rest of the movie. If I'm if I'm sitting there watching No Way Home and the whole time I'm waiting for Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield to come into the movie, and that's all that I'm I'm hoping for, and I'm just sitting there and then it doesn't happen. I'm probably going to walk away going, oh, that movie was crap. Why couldn't they do that? And I don't want to have that experience. I want to set myself up to enjoy a movie without the expectations of what the rest of the world wants it to do. And I know everybody on Facebook, everyone on Instagram, they want it to happen. You know, and they're, they're already doing that. It's like, oh my gosh. I mean, we already know Jamie Foxx is going to be in the movie as Electro. We know absolutely after watching the trailer that Alfred Molina as Dr. Octopus is going to be in this movie. Um, and we get, we get some notes that like, okay, there could be a strong possibility that Willem Dafoe as the Green Goblin could be in this. And, and is that a shot of the lizard? So that is, is that the lizard in the movie? Um, I, I just want to stay a little bit more reserved. Um, so that's, I, I just wanted to talk about the trailer in that regards. It's not even about the trailer, right? It's about the conversations that's coming out of the trailer that everybody who has seen it is just like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing. We're definitely going to get Tobey Maguire. And, but it's like, it's what everybody's been talking about for like the past year about the Spider-Man movie, all the speculations, all the thoughts. And I just don't want to set myself up for disappointment because I think this could be on its own merit, even if, even if Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield are not in this movie, I think it could be one of the best Spider-Man movies we have ever seen. I think it could surpass Spider-Man Homecoming. And for me, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and um, Spider-Man 2 are some of my favorite Spider-Man movies. I mean, Spider-Man 2 is my favorite Spider-Man movie. It could, it could jump that. It could become, this could become my favorite Spider-Man movie to have come out. I love the usage of Doctor Strange. Um, I love that he he is front and center. I mean, they they like to team Spider-Man up with another um, character within the MCU and all his movies with Tom, you know, the Tom Holland ones. So we we have um, in the first Spider-Man Homecoming, we have him teamed up with Iron Man. Um, in the second one, which is um, Spider-Man Far From Home. Um, it's really Iron Man is still kind of in that movie because <laughs> it's all about the legacy of Tony Stark, which I think his protege being Spider-Man kind of dealing with the loss of Tony Stark um, was really well done. And it was one of my favorite parts of that movie. But you see him teamed up with Nick Fury, so you, with Samuel L. Jackson. And for him to team up with um, Doctor Strange is really cool. I like it. This is really like Marvel team up which was a comic book series that was, you know, really popular in the the 70s. And I think even going back to the 60s where basically you just you would just team Spider-Man up who was their flagship character in the, you know, in the comics with another character. Which was just smart cuz it was like cross promotion and you would get people maybe to buy a Doctor Strange comic or an Iron Man comic or whatever. So um, I think it's kind of cool to see that within these movies to team him up there. Um, and, I, and I like that, you know, we're, we're really, I mean, between this movie and the events of Loki and the events of WandaVision, we're really moving things forward with the multiverse. I mean, everyone is, not only are we talking about Spider-Man No Way Home, we're also talking about um, Doctor Strange and the multiverse of madness. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really cool to see what they do here. 
and how things are going to set things up. You know, like Loki did a really good job of setting up Kang the Conqueror, who's going to be the next big bad in the MCU. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm so excited for this movie. I really am. Even though I'm trying to keep myself with my expectations reserved. Um, cause I think, you know, Marvel fans, we can fall into the same traps that I think Star Wars fans can fall into where we feel like we can write and make a better movie than even the producers and the directors can make. And to be fair, maybe to some degree, you know, with our criticisms that that can be somewhat true, but they know what they're doing and they know where they're going and they know what they want to do and they know what's tied up within legal issues and which we do not and we we are not privy to. And I think especially with Star Wars movies and I think if we're not careful this could happen to MCU fans, we can be like why didn't you do what I wanted you to do? And if you don't do what you what I want you to do, you're going to disappoint me and you you made a bad choice and you made a bad movie. And I think that can be kind of self-indulgent. They can become kind of selfish and um it doesn't allow enough room for directors and creators to take risks. And then we're just telling the same old stories over and over again and it doesn't go anywhere and it's just like navel gazing, which I don't think any creator is really interested in doing that. We want to push the envelope. We want to do new things. We want to tell new stories. And so, um, yeah, so I, I just want us to, I want to be careful. And that's, that's just my take on the whole Spider-Man Far From Home or No Way Home um, trailer and the talk around it and the things that are going to happen with it. I, I think this was a beautifully made trailer, a perfect trailer, I'll say, because it gives you, it gives you, it doesn't, hide behind ambiguity. It doesn't like say, it doesn't, we know what we're in store for. We know what's going to happen. Peter is um, regretting the fact that his identity has gotten out as Spider-Man and he wants to fix the problems. And so he goes to Dr. Strange to fix it, but which opens up so many more problems, you know, and you even see him, he goes, well, I, and Dr. Strange is doing his magic trick in which Wong says, Hey, don't you do it? Strange. And he says, um, no, don't worry, don't worry. And then they're doing, the, they're doing the trick or they're doing the magic act or whatever we want to call it. You know, he's fixing things <clears throat> as a Sorcerer Supreme would do. And Peter's like, oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, can MJ still know? And, and can my best friend Ned still know? And, and oh, and probably my aunt should probably know. And, and this is just like, what's interesting about this, if we were to compare this to the comic books, you know, in Civil War, in the comic book series of Civil War, not the movie, Tony Stark convinces Spider-Man to reveal his identity to the world. And that's kind of what, what comes out of that is a total regret, and Peter actually flips to go to the other side of the Civil War drama. And he actually makes a deal with Mephisto. I'm not crying Mephisto. I know everybody in the last year is going, is that Mephisto? Is that Mephisto? Is that Mephisto within the MCU? Mephisto is basically the devil. He's the devil's version of the Marvel comics. And so everybody's looking for Mephisto to pop up. Um, they did it in WandaVision. They did it in Loki. And, you know, I think they're even doing it in this. And I'm not saying he's going to be in this movie. I'm just saying in the comic books, he makes a deal with the devil, Mephisto, to make it that nobody knows who his identity is. And it's kind of what this is doing. I think, um, what was the name of that comic book series? 
I can't even remember. I can't even remember what it was called when he, when he reversed everybody's knowledge, including MJ, who was his wife at the time. So um, anyway, I think we're going to get a lot of that within this. And I'm excited. I really am. Um, all right, guys. Um, I'll be right back. I'm going to talk just – I'm going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, just, it's going to be for you. It's just a couple seconds. I'm going to talk about Shang-Chi and give you my spoiler talk there. All right, everybody, um, here we go. We're going to talk about Shang-Chi now. Um, be warned. You know, I already talked about Shang-Chi, but I'm going, to, I'm going to hit it again. I'm going to talk about the spoilers, and I wanted to save this to the end of the show because, you know, in case you haven't seen the movie yet, uh, I know I have, I have one friend who just, like, spoil, tell me everything. I want to know, and I just don't understand how that guy's mind works. Um, but I, I just wanted to give you my spoiler review, you know, and just kind of plug in some of the pieces that I was leaving out from my non-spoiler review. Um, yeah, so this being a kung fu movie, I said that the sequences, there wasn't enough action or enough sequences of action. I mean, there was plenty of action and fighting, but um, I felt like there was only like three or four sequences. And the intro one where it's, there's, a, there's a fight between um, Shang-Chi's father and his mother um, to kind of say how did they meet and they're, how their stories kind of collide. Um, that I thought was beautiful, but I don't, I don't count that. That's the, that's the, there's a fight there. That's the one that reminds me of Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Um, and what we have here is the fact that Shang-Chi's father, he has, he's basically been an eternal. He has lived for thousands of years and he's been the guy in charge of the Ten Rings, which was this warlord, um, sanction this this thing that exists and it's been it's been warlord he was a warlord and now he becomes like basically a crime boss in modern times and he is a guy who once he met his the love of his life his wife he kind of he stops for a while and he puts aside his villainous um, actions in order to be a family man and so he has the power of the Ten Rings. Now, this is something that I wanted to talk about, too. And I, me- I meant to talk about it in the previous review. The Ten Rings. Now, that has a lot to do with the Mandarin. Okay? Um, and this guy is basically the Mandarin. But they don't call him that. But, but there's dialogue within the movie that kind of addresses it. Now, the Mandarin in the comic books, he has f- rings that are on his fingers. And it's Ten Rings. And each one has a different power a different ability to do different things. Um, and that's not the direction that they went with this movie. Um, and I, I'm okay with it. As, you know, I, as a uh, comic book fan, there's some hardcores out there, you know, and they felt like with the Mandarin and Iron Man 3 they should have done. Um, and at first I was like, when I saw the trailers, I'm just like, oh, that's a different kind of Ten Rings situation. They really did their own take on it. And instead of it being rings on a finger, it was rings up their arms, like, like would basically be bracelets that would go up somebody's forearm, but would allow them to like do energy projection, like shooting out energy or give them extra strength and fighting hand to hand. There are things I like about that. Um, I think as far as a movie making standpoint, like, okay, we have to, we have to make these 10 rings and, it's almost like you have to do a story around every single ring and you would end up like telling, it's almost like the infinity gauntlet, right? You would end up having to tell stories about each one of the rings and it would take away 
from the story that you're trying to tell within the movie that you are in. I did not want to watch a movie about Ten Rings. I wanted to watch a movie about Shang-Chi. And so I understand why they did that. And also I think maybe on a production standpoint with CGI to have to think about having to do the powers for each ring and, and yada, yada, yada. Um, it might have made some fans happy, but I think it would have, it would have taken away from the final, the final product of this film. So I think it worked, and I'm okay with that. So he sets aside his ten rings in order to be a family man, and he has two sons – or no, he has a son and a daughter with his wife – um, tragically, he loses his wife, which sets him off again and saying, oh, I was a mistake for me to set to put aside these 10 rings. I'm going to take them back up and it's going to give me power. And I should have been, um, powerful all along. I should have been a man of war all along. I should fight for what I, so he goes back to his old ways. And so he trains up his children, primarily Shang-Chi, who's the older of two, not his daughter to become an assassin, you know, through the 10 rings. Um, another problem I had with not, not a problem, but I, I wish they would have done something with like, this is a subsect of the hand, which is, is something that's far more of a martial arts presence of a villainous empire within the MC with, within the Marvel comics. I mean, we've covered it. I mean, the, the, the hand is something that's covered within the Netflix shows with daredevil and iron fist and the defenders. Um, I think to have a tie in there would have been kind of cool. I would have liked a little bit more there. Um, but, we'll see, but we'll see what happens in the future because I think this movie could really have sequels. And we, I would love to see the sequels go into areas where, again, it's a little bit more street level. This is definitely heightened. It's more fantasy driven and it's more um, – it's like there's actually like almost like a trip to Narnia in this movie. And I, I, I wanted it to be – not that I want it to be. I want the sequels to maybe be a little bit more street level. I want to see him in like New York City because this movie takes place either in San Francisco and it takes place in um, China. And I think if it was, I think for sequels to kind of bring this character who is really kind of heightened down to like a street level superhero, you know, you could really do some good tie-ins with Luke Cage, bring in some of the the Netflix characters over like Iron Fist and Luke Cage and maybe redeem Iron Fist a little bit, bring Daredevil over. I think they could do some really cool things there. Anyway, I digress. Um, so Shang-Chi is, is sent to go basically to kill the man and to that killed his mom. And I, some of these things, some of the backstory things that I'm even mentioning right now are things that are kind of covered within um, flashbacks. And so we get some of these things, but then we go back. And what we find out is that, you know, earlier Shang-Chi basically says to somebody that he, he didn't go through, he didn't kill this man that he was, his dad sent out him out to kill, and he just disappeared. And he also told his sister, who was kind of just there and wasn't being trained up as an assassin because she was a girl, um, that he'd be back for her in three days. He does not come back for her, which really makes a separation and a distrust between him and his sister throughout the movie. And what we actually find out where he said before he did not kill this man, he actually did kill this man, which scared him and woke him up. And he realized, man, my mom would be so disgraced by me by the fact that I'm not good. Because as much as his dad raised him to be an assassin and kill at like age seven and then growing up till age like 14 or 11, I forgot what it was. He was young. He, um, 
also was being trained up by his mom while she was alive to being good. You know, so he's he's ashamed of himself. And so we find out that he is, throughout the movie, he's coming to terms with his own choices. And so he kind of disappears off the map, you know, as far as his, his, his dad is concerned or his family is concerned. He doesn't return back to his sister, but he has this little pendant that his mom gave him. Um, in which the sister also has. So now he's living in San Francisco and he's older and now he's, he's working as a valet and he's really put this life behind him. And this is where really we get the story of Shang-Chi as it starts off in the movie. And he has his friend Aquafina. Aquafina, I really liked in this movie, like I said before. She was, she kind of stole the show. I mean, she does a lot of the comedy work, obviously all the comedy work within this movie, um, but similarly as um, Michael Pena did in um, the Ant-Man movies, you know, um, or I would also compare her, I didn't, I, I think I liked Aquafina way more than this character. Um, I would compare her to Darcy, played by, oh gosh, who's that girl? Kat Dennings. I do not like Kat Dennings. Um, and I did, I would have probably put her on the same level, you know, Aquafina with Kat Dennings in this movie, but I actually really walked away liking Aquafina. Now, Aquafina in this movie, her arc is, you know, her her mom wants her to do more. She's like, you know, you were so smart. You were so great in school. You see even um, Aquafina and Shang-Chi, um, or her name is Katie in the movie. So Katie and Shang-Chi, they go to on a, like a um, hanging out with some friends. And the friend is like, hey, you were the smartest kids in school. You guys, but you guys are, are valet drivers. Like you had so much going for, for you. And I think that's, that's, there's a lot of pressure that can go on to um, children and, you know, care people, I don't want to say characters, but real life people who come from a um, Asian far East descent, you know, um, and, and in which family really pushes them to perfection and Aquafina definitely in her story, as we see her interact with her family, she she does not go that way. She doesn't go in the pressures and what her mom wants her to do. And there's also a grandmother who's there who is really only speaks Mandarin. And Aquafina gives this impression. I think, and this is something that I think the writing could have fixed and really addressed, because I I walked away with connecting these dots, but the per, the people that I were with did not connect it. And I think the movie could have done a stronger, better job at doing this. Um, I think she pretends that she doesn't understand her culture. I think she pretends that she doesn't really understand where she comes from in order to distance herself from that so she doesn't have to become everything that her family wants her to be. And so she, she kind of denies who she is. And she denies where she comes from. And as she goes along within the story and she travels to China and she's, she's, getting, she's being talked to, she, you start to see her actually... Um, understand what people are saying and we and we see her connecting dots and i think some people were like hey why did she do that i thought she could not understand these things i think it was their way of like slowly showing that she does understand but she just denies that side of herself now i think the movie could have done a better job at having a little piece of dialogue where she said that and i think it would have made her arc a little bit more compelling um so yeah i think but i think she was great i think she was funny I loved her. This is probably the best performance I've seen from her that I really was just like, I was all about her. And again, I'm somebody who's like, oh, I don't really care for Aquafina. Anyway, um, moving along. Um, so there's a sequence where Shang-Chi is attacked on the bus with Aquafina 
This definitely resembles the movie Speed with um, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock from the 90s, which is so cool because actually just a couple weeks ago I watched that for the first time in a long time, showed it to my wife. She's a huge Sandra Bullock fan. Anyway, um, so it reminds me a lot of that, the sequence where there's a fight scene on the bus. And this scene is amazing. This is the best action scene in the whole film. Um, And Aquafina actually has to take control of the bus and drive it. And it's lost its brakes. And um, Shang-Chi has to fight a, a group of his dad's minions, including Razor Fist, a character from um, the comic books who's brought into this. Um, just kind of like a sub-level you know, crony or a henchman villain. Um, and he's fine. He's fine in the movie. There's another villain who was like, I thought was going to be way more hyped and they were going to do more with. Um, I don't even know the character's name. I don't even know what it is in comic books, but it wears a mask and is a, like a henchman again of um, Shang-Chi's dad. And I just, I wanted, I wanted that character to be fleshed out a little bit more because honestly that character dies way too soon. And that character was really, really cool. And it was everything that, again, that I wanted the Taskmaster to be. Except actually it could have talked. That's my main criticism of Taskmaster. Maybe that's my criticism here. Or maybe because I don't have that um, pre-idea of what Taskmaster is supposed to be. I'm okay with this character not talking. Because it's not set up as being a character who is a big talker. Anyway. the, The pendant that... Um, Shang-Chi has, which ties him to his, his mom and his heritage is stolen from him in that fight. Um, and so that propels him to tell Aquafina who he really is and where he comes from. And that takes him back to China where he has to try to find his sister. Um, and which his sister is a, is kind of, she's been shunned by her dad and she escaped from her dad, who was this war criminal, this crime Lord, this warlord, And she started building her own empire of um, street fighters in China. Or not street fighters, but just like gambling, you know, um, fight club kind of a level thing. And he gets there and there was a video that was taken of him fighting there um, on that, on the, the bus fight. And... Everyone's like, oh my gosh, you're this guy we saw you on, you, we saw you, you know, on YouTube or whatever. And so um, this is actually probably a pretty good Easter egg here. Um, we see Wong fighting Abomination. I know we saw this in the trailer. And I thought it was, I was like, oh, we're going to get so much of this. It's going to be so cool. They're in it for like two minutes. They put it in the trailer, get everybody excited. Oh my gosh, Wong is in this movie. Oh my gosh, Abomination is in this movie. And it definitely um, teases, it, it puts things in an interesting place moving forward with it within the MCU because we haven't seen Abomination since The Incredible Hulk. He's been mentioned a few times, but here he is um, and he's back. And I think it's in, we know that he's going to be in the She-Hulk TV series for um, Disney+. Plus, and I think he's going to be in a lot more, especially as things are kind of gearing, being geared up for Thunderbolts as being a possibility um, with like different villainous characters making a good hero turn that we've kind of seen in the last few things coming out of um, MCU. And I think Abomination is going to be a part of it because you, you see them, they're fighting, but then afterwards they're actually talking Abomination and, and Wong. And you see Wong take his little portal thing, you know, from Doctor Strange and he escapes and he already gets away or not. He doesn't escape. He just leaves with Abomination and they're like, and they're talking afterwards. So that's a nice little Easter egg there. But anyway, um, 
the sister doesn't trust Shang-Chi and his dad basically used Shang-Chi to, to track him to his sister in which they um, basically get the pendant from her. So now, and they, and they get captured. So Aquafina, Shang-Chi, and his sister are captured. I've got to take some water here. And basically what happens, and the reason why this is happening is the pendant is tied to the mom and the mom comes from this Narnia-like land that's protected by mystical forces. And the dad, you know, even when he was, when he was a warlord, he was trying to get there so much and he couldn't figure out the way. And then he, he falls in love with his wife or his future wife, who is one of the protectors of this, this land, this like Narnia land almost. It has like fantasy creatures there that look a lot like Pokemon. And like there's literally one that looks like Ninetales. Um, anyway, we see that later in the movie. And so the mom, these two pendants were, are, are the way to get into this land. And so the dad wanted to use these two pendants to figure it out. And he does. And, um, and we see him. He's like, I needed to know how to get there and the time to get there because it's always shifting. And so he's like, now I know how to get there. And so he puts the three main characters in prison where they meet Trevor Slattery, um, who is um, Ben Kingsley character from Iron Man 3. He's the big MCU tie-in that we had from before. And you might be like, that's the tie-in? But I'll tell you, if you were disappointed with Trevor in Iron Man 3 as he was posing to be the Mandarin... You're gonna love him in this movie, actually. I, I think he is so great and he's so fun and he and he and he brings a real level of comedy into this movie. And so they escape with him, get to the land ahead of time. They this is another here's another character, another person who brings a lot of clout to this movie is Michelle Yun. And oh my gosh, she is great. I mean, she comes from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, um, and she plays the sister, basically their aunt. They play she plays the aunt. Um, to Shang-Chi and his sister. And they are like, okay, now we have to defend this land from the Ten Rings and your father as he's coming here to take over our land because he wants to release this um, monster that we are, we're, we're tasked to protect this gate and, and, and I just keep calling Narnia. So <laughs> they're in this other realm kind of thing and they're, they're there, they're tasked to protect this gate from an evil escaping out of it. And they've been protecting it from um, Shang-Chi's father and the Ten Rings for as long as they can remember, right? But the father is being extra motivated to go in and break through this gate because he has his voice in the back of his head. Whatever is behind that gate is calling out to him for him. And it, and he, and it sounds like his dead wife. And so he's being motivated. I need to go and save her. I need to go and release her out of this, this prison behind this gate. But the characters who are protecting the gate know that it's not her. And so he's being deceived. And so there's, there's, I think there's a real emotional attachment to the plight of this character who we are caring for. Because he has suffered loss. And he's the guy who put aside his evil ways. And then the person that he lost that drove him back to evil is calling out to him. And that's all he wants. And so I think there's a lot of sympathy I have for this villain as a character. Um, but obviously, you know, he's like, I need to go in there. And if you're going to get in my way, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to burn this village to the town if I, or ground if I need to. Um, 
And so we, we get the characters of, you know, um, you get some training stuff. We get some preparation. They're going to use this um, dragon scales as, as being armor and weapons um, to fight the Ten Rings and which... You know, Aquafina is being trained in archery. And this is where I was saying that, like, she was proficient in a weapon. And I think she's going to get a lot of criticism because in one day she learns to become a, a master um, marksman when it comes to bow and arrow. I agree. But it's movie magic. Okay. So, like, clearly things can happen in movies and you can expedite things. And you can make things go faster um, in order to tell a story that you're trying to tell. I'm okay with it. Um, it's something that happens. And if, if we're going to give the same criticism to her, we got to give it to Shang-Chi later in this movie. Because as the dad breaks through and they're fighting, um, and he has his ten rings and he's fighting against them, um, he actually breaks through the gate. He breaks through the gate and these things start getting released, like these, these demonic creatures coming through the gate, and which is like big scales of dragon scales. And... Basically, um, their their weapons that they have forged are are able to kill these demonic flying monkey things, and um, but within that, what gets released is the big bad, the thing, the monster behind there. And this is one thing: if if you wanted to make Marvel MCU fans really happy, all you needed to do was call this dragon like creature Fing Fang Foom, because that would just made Marvel fans super happy. Um, and then you'd be like, oh, this is their take on the character Fing Fang Foom. Um, but maybe you actually would also make them angry because, you know, this is not really, really a character. Um, and it's more just like um, just a big bad. Um, there's a part where another dragon comes out of the water and it's like their tribe's dragon, their family dragon. And, and Shang-Chi and his sister are fighting the, the, the monsters while flying on top. It's, it's beautiful. It's stunning. It's like it's almost like we have a kaiju movie in the middle of this where these two dragons are fighting against each other. Um, but this is, this is what ends up happening is Shang-Chi's dad dies. And as he's dying and he's being killed by the big bad dragon um, and it's sucking the life out of him, he relinquishes his control of the Ten Rings and he gives them to his son. And the son then fights with him. And this is where I'm like, if we're going to criticize Aquafina's character for being proficient with a bow and arrow after one day, how about we criticize Shang-Chi and his proficiency around the Ten Rings when these are, this is a very intricate weapon. And I'm like, he hasn't been trained to use this. How is he using this so well in which he's able to, to fight this dragon? So I, I think that's, I think it's a criticism. I think it's a problem with both characters, but I would be upset if somebody was just to mention one and not the other, if that makes sense. Um, and I also think the big bad dragon, this thing that's been hyped throughout the last act of the movie goes down far too quickly. They, they vanquish it. They destroy it far too soon. And, um, all is saved. All is well. He is basically reunited with his sister. Um, Aquafina has a, has an arc there and Shang-Chi saves the day and he has the 10 rings. And the movie basically comes to an end with them being back out on, you know, out to dinner with their friend and they're talking about their big adventures. And now their friends think that they're, you know, picking on them and saying, Oh, you fought a dragon. Ha ha. That's so funny. Um, and I think, you know, one thing I have to mention, um, one thing, and I think one thing that I liked about this movie is there wasn't a romantic 
thing going on between Shang-Chi and his friend Katie, played by Aquafina. And they could have gone there. Do I think they could still go there? I think they absolutely could, and I think they should. Um, I think, but with this story being told, I think it was important to tell them that these guys are friends. And I think in, if you get sequels, you can start venturing down the road of actually there's more kind of going on there. I just, I'm glad that they didn't put it in because I think it would have detracted from this movie. I think it would have detracted from this story. Um, and I think, I think it was okay not putting it there, but I think it'd be good for the future that they could actually go there. I mean, I have, that's kind of my story with me and my wife. We started off as friends and then from there we, we kind of got more interested in each other and that's where our relationship kind of went. So I think it's interesting to tell those stories. Um, but I'm, I'm kind of glad that they didn't feel forced to have to do it in this movie, if that makes sense. But anyway, things end with Wong showing up. Wong shows up at the very end. He creates a portal. He says, hey, we need to talk. Um, and so him, Shang-Chi and Katie go with Wong. I think, again, um, bringing Wong, I think Wong is the perfect tie-in from the MCU within this movie, apart from Trevor being the Mandarin and having its ties with the Ten Rings. And if you saw Iron Man 3, you get it. If you saw the short that came out and it's on Disney Plus now of All Hail the King, it makes sense there as well. Um, but I think Wong is perfect. I think Wong is a perfect addition to this movie. Um, kind of in the same way that like, yeah, you know, within Black Panther, you get African-American and you get black actors. In this, um, bring in Wong. You know, being a Benedict Wong, being of Asian descent, is, is perfect to be a character within this movie. So, um, and so we get the post-credit scenes. And the first one is Wong talking with Shang-Chi and Katie, and they're talking about the Ten Rings, in, in which basically they give up the Ten Rings to Wong because these are mystical weapons that are used for fighting. You know, So that falls right into Doctor Strange and what they're usually focused on, right? And we saw that with, with the Eye of Agamotto and then the boots of this. Like We saw that within um, Shang-Chi, the staff of the Living tri- um, Triunal. <clears throat> um, and so they're, they're discussing this weapon and then who they're discussing it with, because you think it's just the three of them, Bruce Banner's there in a hologram and there he's talking about it. And it's not the Hulk, Bruce Banner, that we saw in Avengers Endgame. It's Bruce Banner. It's Mark Ruffalo in his human form. And then we're like, oh my gosh, that's great. And then you see also with him is Brie Larson. So we see um, Captain Marvel. She's there too in a hologram. And they're talking about what is the origin of these 10 rings? Where do they come from? What gives them their power? And they're trying to figure out. And they're like, oh, is it Kree? You know, talking to Captain Marvel. And Captain Marvel's like, no, it's not Kree. You know, and so they're, they're trying to figure out where these come from. This is going to be the big tie-in to the Eternals movie that comes out in a couple months. Um, so it really sets things up for that. And I, and I like this post-credit scene because I think it, it it moves us forward to the next movie with the anticipation for the next movie, but also um, uses Katie and Shang-Chi in this scene as well. And so that's the first post-credit scene. The last one is basically is um, Shang-Chi's sister taking over the Ten Rings Empire um, from her dad after his death. And she's training them and now it's not only men who are part of this but she's training women and I think that's the big the big takeaway there. Um and I and I think it's interesting. I mean, we're really we're really moving forward with some 
even some female antagonists um, moving forward. Like, not only do do we see her now being, like, I guess you could say the Mandarin. I put that in quotations um, because I discussed the, the whole title Mandarin in, in the movie, in, in which I think they do a very smart way of going about it. Um, but I, I think it's interesting for her to take over. My only criticism, my only problem is I felt like the actress's performance was kind of flat and I did not really care for her in this movie, unfortunately. Um, so I'm not excited where they're going with her, unlike where I am excited about what they're doing with Sharon Carter coming out of Falcon Winter Soldier with her as the power broker. So I, I like seeing, sure, I like seeing these, these female characters being put in a position of not only being heroes, but also being as antagonists and villains. And is that where she's going to go? Who knows? We'll see what they're going to do. And they're definitely teasing that she's going into a nefarious direction. Um, and that's the movie. That's Shang-Chi. Um, I hope that kind of ties in some things. I hope that's the spoiler talk you guys were looking for. Um, do you agree? Do you disagree? Let me know. Hit me up in the emails. So guys, um, that is this week's show of Pete Show. Um, thank you for tuning in, taking a look into the Pete Show. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was everything you wanted it to be. Um, as things go along, I'll be talk, covering more movie news, your topics, things that are on my mind, um, movies that are out in theaters. Hit me up. Stay tuned. We got more things coming, and I'll see you next time on the Pete Show.